This is Self Startup. Welcome to Self Startup Season 2. This is a podcast that highlights the small business owners, the self-employed and freelancers who've taken the plunge to create their own desirable lifestyle. My name is Andy Dowling. I'm also the host of the Andy Social Podcast, and I play bass in the Australian metal band Lord. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching at Andy Dowling, or you can go to selfstarter.com.au where you can learn more about me as well as everything to do with the self-employment world. This episode, we speak with Chris Pachenko of Speed Metal Scrap. Now, some of you may know Chris as the guitarist in Melbourne band Vanishing Point. However, Chris has got this really unique story to tell, which finds him running his own business, collecting and selling scrap metal around the suburbs of Melbourne. He'd previously been working for an automobile manufacturer for a couple of decades and saw himself in this rapidly changing industry where the writing was on the wall, so to speak, when it came to his own career in that field. He was really lucky to accept an exit package from his employer and with two newborn twins, scary stuff, Chris took the plunge to start a new chapter and launch his own business. When he dived into that first year out of the comforts of traditional employment, Chris had appropriately prepared himself and his family to ensure that expectations were reasonable while he built a reputation and a group of clientele. While money was not a steady stream like it had been in the past, the new world of self-employment and the flexibility that had come with it had helped Chris find a work-life balance that met the needs and desires of both him and his family. Chris's approach to his business might be slightly unorthodox for some. He has no website or social media pages. He instead exists via classifieds and this tight inner network of people that work in his field who support each other with opportunities and work via word of mouth and reputation. Just like being a musician performing on stage, Chris knows he is only as good as the last customer he's dealt with. His reputation is built on being in service to other people and he's proud to do it with a high standard. More information on this chat can be found in the show notes over at selfstarter.com.au. But for now, please enjoy this really great chat with Chris Pachenko of Speed Metal Square. Hi, I'm Chris Pachenko. I've got my own little business called Speed Metal Scrap. I do scrap metal pickups, uh, commercial and domestic, um, and all the above. Basically, um, it's just me with my Ford Ranger Ute and a 10x5 tenon trailer with a cage, and off I go, mate. Yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> nice and nice and simple, not glamorous, yeah. but uh, it gets the job done. Yeah, it's, it's a dirty job, mate, but somebody's got to do it, and it's definitely not glamorous, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it's it. It's good fun. Uh, what, what were you doing before... The scrap metal business, it's its an unusual thing to get yeah. into, but um, sort of what was the path leading up to it? Well, actually, um, before that, I was working at the Holden Proving Ground for General Motors Holden for just under 18 years, um, test driving cars, um, at the Lang Lang uh, Proving Ground testing facility in southeast uh, Victoria, which is uh, towards Lang Lang or towards Phillip Island, just off the Bass Highway. So... Um, I was doing durability driving uh, on a lot of the new cars, a lot of the prototype cars before they were um, being released on the market. And um, it's a big engineering facility, so I was like one of the test drive dummies, you know, a test dummy that was driving the car. But um, I was doing that for just under 18 years and enjoyed every moment of it. But um, as everybody knows, you know, when the auto industry like pretty much went to shit after a while, um, uh, you know, the the company, like with a lot of the other auto industry, um, auto companies as well, was um, offering volunteer separation packages. So I took a VSP 
Um, and that was back in early 2013. So, yeah, you know, five and a half, six years later, I'm, yeah, doing scrap metal. <laughs> well, <laughs> Playing I mean, a metal band, I do scrap metal for a living uh, as well. So well, it's all uh, about the metal. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I love I love the name of the business. It certainly ties into to who Speed you metal are. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really, really good. And it's a good way to hold yourself accountable because if you were ever slow mm. or became lazy or whatever, then you leave mm. yourself wide open for criticism just because of the name of your business. So it's actually a really, Absolutely. it's a really good thing for yourself just to hold yourself to that, to that high standard. Yeah. Thanks, man. I try my best. You know, I mean, my whole motto is, you know, working for myself is, and like a lot of the guys who are like doing this as well, they say to me, cause they, they see me turn up sometimes with a trailer full of, you know, non-ferrous metal or copper or stuff like that. They go, how do you do it? And I just go, mate, simple as this. Just answer the bloody phone. If somebody <laughs> rings you, pick up the phone. If you miss the call and you see their phone come up on the screen, ring them back. And that, that's all it is. It's just simple communication. But, you know, some of these guys maybe don't have credit on their phones or they just can't be bothered or, you know, they're, they're hungover from the beer, you know, hit the <laughs> night before. I don't know. But for me, it's always been, you know, answer the phone. Uh, communicate as clearly as possible, you know, with my speech, how it goes away, with, you know, from time to time. But, you know, just ask the people what they need done, what their time frame is, what kind of material it is, and whereabouts the location is, and, you know, and take it from there. And, you know, some people will ring me up and they might be in central Victoria, for example. And I, and I say to them honestly, look, you know, for the amount of material they've got, I can't do it because of the scrap price. Otherwise, I'd have to charge them X amount. But I do... Even though I don't know the people, I say, but you've got these facilities that are nearby within 100 kilometres of where you can go to drop off the metal. Instead of paying me to come out all that way to charge you X amount of hundreds of dollars to pick up, you know, a couple of items, really. So so still being helpful and providing a service, even though it's not a sort of a direct financial benefit for you. It's just your reputation that's, 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 well, that's really invaluable. You know, I believe in word of mouth. And another thing is, too, is you know, doing this and working in this industry as well, I'm very passionate about recycling. You know what I mean? I don't believe that, you know, in this day and age, we have so many products that it's like you design and, you know, made to only have a certain lifespan and they're full of shit. Whereas, especially in the metal game, you know what I mean? Uh, my whole thinking is if you can recycle something as best as possible and save something from going into landfill and poisoning the soil, which we eventually build suburbs and people try to grow vegetables and all that type of stuff mm. out of it. Um, the soil gets polluted. So for me, it's a, it's a passionate thing about recycling as well. I'm also a part-time picker, so I drive around a hard rubbish collection sometimes from time to time. I do knock on the people's doors and ask them politely if I can grab something. Um, and I'll get some really cool stuff that way as well. Like I've got some really cool musical gear from that, you know, or furnished part of my house, but then nobody would know it was actually put on the side of the road, you know, until they'd ask me, I love that you know, but I just believe about, I, I just believe in recycling and repurposing as best as possible and saving stuff from going to landfill because it's criminal what's happening out there. There's so much good stuff, you know, so much beautiful furniture, for example, that people can't be bothered, you know, advertising on Gumtree or Facebook marketplace, or whatever, or saying, look, this is for free, take it. Mm. Um, they won't bother doing that, but they'll, be bothered to wheel it out to the curb and most of the time some people even slash the furniture because they don't want anybody to pick it yeah, they don't want anyone but that, to that get goes the automatically into a crusher yeah. uh, part of my french is so fucking stupid <laughs> <laughs> you know and 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 that and that ends up in landfill yeah. you know what i mean it's there's only so much 
material and waste material at the end of the day that can be separated and especially with the waste crisis that's crisis that's going on now where yeah. china's not buying a lot of the waste from australia um the the market here is trying to find ways you know with the plastics and all these different materials of getting rid of it and it's it's a big crisis it's only going to get worse you know so it's not looking good at the moment well i think um the repurpose stuff and even just mm. your passion for recycling everything um it's it's a really important point and i think it comes into the whole uh self-employment thing so i'm going to make a little note and i'm going to come back to go that. for it but yeah um listeners that are, that are tuning in and candidly listening to our conversation i, I must make a note we um we were having a conversation earlier and we had a slight technical difficulty and we had to do a round two, but I wanted to sort of... Refer... That's, that, that's the recorder that you got from me. I sent that from you. I sent that to you. That's the one that I picked up from Hard Rubby, so I said it might not work. That's the risk that you take. But um, I think just to, I guess, touch on what we were talking about earlier um, in attempt number one um, and your time at Holden, I think one really important thing just mm -hmm. to mention and sort of just to link it all together is that towards the end of your time at Holden, and and, I'm, and I will make another note really, a quick interjecting as I'm thinking of things. Go um, for it, man. We're definitely going to have to do a round two for the Andy Social Podcast and get you on to talk about your time at Holden because yeah, some of the sure. things that you've spoken about already, I'm just going, wow, like I had no idea. So some really cool stuff there. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, but... Um, you mentioned earlier that towards the end of your time at Holden, you were um, scrapping vehicles and you found a bit of That's an interest correct. there at the time. Um, yep. Can you just explain to me just that transition? Because you sort of touched on it earlier about sort of where your mind was at and sort of seeing what, what the future held and sort of that transition into creating this business. Sure. So basically, um, I think about two and a half to three years before I finished at Holden, I was um, responsible for a lot of the cars, the engineering cars that were there. So when an engineering car, you know, it's like says it's end of days, whatever, it's certain, done certain testing, especially in a, in a, in a um, engineering, you know, background like um, in, a, in a testing facility, that car might have prototype parts or whatever, but that can't go back on the Australian road. It's just it's they won't release it, and that's and that's probably for the better because mm -hmm. sometimes maybe a park could fail or whatever. And if a person's driving that car and a part fails, well, then the person has an accident as a result, well, the yeah. company can be in deep shit. Um, so, you know, we had to, by law, we had to, um, what's the name, uh, scrap cars, but also donate cars to, like, um, uh, companies like Arrow back then. I'm not sure if they still do it now, but Arrow was Australian Road Rescue Organisation. Oh, right, yeah. And, and with that being said, what Arrow would do is they would have – time trial games um, around the world, especially in the southeast region or the southern hemisphere. Um, so I was responsible for sending off to them at one stage, I think it was about 70 cars, and they went to New Zealand wow. um, where they had the Australian Road Rescue Organisation um, time trials. It's like the Olympics, but where they use the jaws of life and all that mm. type of stuff, and they simulate car crashes and all that, you know, rescue operations. Um, so we were we were donating cars like that to them um, and to local CFAs, M MFBs, but also there was a surplus of cars that every year would be scrapped because they had test parts, whatever, and they'd long been completed. You know, mm -hmm. the, the schedules were done. Um, so in that time I was doing that, I also was responsible for um, let's say I'm scrapping a lot of the material there. So at one stage there was a lot of mixed material you know, like aluminium, metal and everything like that, they were thrown in the same scrap metal bin. That was going off to um, one big uh, scrap metal company, which I won't name. And I'm pretty much sure that, you know, back then the company wasn't getting the best bang for, for its dollar, basically from the scrap metal material that was there. So 
when I took over, I said to this this big company, I said, okay, I don't just want one bin. I want three, four bins because I'm going to separate the material. So, A, so not only the stuff that gets contaminated, but also, B, it's recycled. But also, see on top of that, also the company that I work for, that I represent, is making its money back instead mm-hmm. of you guys making all the money and the company that I work for getting ripped off. So, you know, um, I've started like, getting an interest in recycling and it's like, you know, getting the stuff for a purpose. But also, um, with that being said, there was stuff that was, you know, obviously long by its, you know, long gone, but still there was a use for it. You know, there could be certain materials in that metal material or that object that could be saved, that could be reused for something. You know what I mean? And it's funny enough that, you know, over time, you know, everybody's gone to the whole e-waste thing. So back mm. then we were already doing e-waste and sending off e-waste to other e-waste facilities. Oh. You know, because, I mean, as everybody knows, in computers and all that type of stuff in a motherboard, you've got platinum, you've got silver, you've got gold, you've got copper, you've got aluminium mm. in the motherboards. Um, now, I don't know if Australia has this extracting facility according to ISO standards that does this, but I know that in Japan and South Korea they do. And so those facilities who extract the precious metals from computer motherboards, etc., what happens with that industrial gold and all that, that goes back in your iPhones, your new Samsung mm-hmm. TVs, your new Samsung phones. So it's, it's more cost-efficient but also more from a recycling perspective it's more beneficial to do that instead of digging up football pitches worth of soil to bring up maybe, you know, 20 grams of gold or something like yeah. that, you know. <laughs> Working at home, that's how I got the interest in doing scrap, man. You know, I mean, it's just, just followed on from there just naturally. And at the time, I think you mentioned that you sort of had this you, you created this sort of side hustle, this, this second business to sort of yep. as a part-time thing just to bring in a little bit of money. So it was sort you of sure? the, the concept was already there before you actually, I guess, made the decision to, to move on from Holden. Um, yep. Was, can you just explain a little bit of that as far as what that motivation was to start, you know, fueling the second, the second little venture that you had on the side? Yeah, the motivation was basically because um, Simone and I, you know, back in 2007, our kids were born. We had twins, so Mia and Thomas. Um, anybody that knows me, you know, and it's like knows me through Facebook, whatever, know that I love my kids, and Simone and I love our kids dearly. But, you know, we had we had twins. But with that being said, like, you know, having twins and, you know, paying a mortgage back then and paying the bills and all type of stuff, you know, my wage back then working for Holden, as much as it was a good wage, but with all the added pressure of having twins and all that, which I don't take back anything. I mean, you know, I love my kids, love my family dearly. But the reality was at the end of the day, bills still had to be paid. They had yeah. to be food on the table. You know, had to have pay the mortgage, had to put fuel in the cars. But on top of that also, there was double of everything for the kids. So if we went to the doctors, we had to get medication. There was double that. Double in, you know, uh, you know, feeding formula, double in nappies, all that stuff. <laughs> you know, so I had to, you know, on the side part-time every weekend, start hustling, you know, more or less. And it's like, you know, communicating with people and it's like seeing how I could get into the scrap metal game because back then the scrap metal price just for general pressing steel was actually quite favourable. So you could make yourself sometimes 150, 200 bucks a week if you were lucky extra. Mm. Sometimes you make yourself 80 bucks a week extra, but... You know, it was pretty good back then. So, I mean, you know, through this time that I've been doing scrap metal um, for myself, you know, working full-time or even back to the part-time uh, days, I've seen the prices fluctuate, go up and down like a yo-yo, you know, mm-hmm. from the best price being 
when I just started, just after that price had dropped, but the, at that time, the price of steel was like um, what China was paying back then was like 500 bucks a ton for pressing steel, which was crazy. Yeah, yeah. And I've worked at full time when, it's, when, when as low as $25 a ton. You know, so, you know, you, you, you've got to be on your feet, got to have your feet to the ground more or less, but you also got to learn to diversify more or less as well doing this type of role. Mm. So, so it was a bit of a, I mean, it was a means to the end, obviously, just because of the surprise that uh, mm. they both had with uh, these twins on the way or just, uh, just yeah. coming to the world and, and just trying to find a way to just to make it work. But um, obviously at the time, you know, it, it was it was almost like a mechanism to ensure that you had enough money to fund everything. But did you, Absolutely. did you also have in the back of your head that this could be something that I would want to do long-term or was it more of just a very short-term vision that, at that point in time? It was just a means to an end at that time. Mm. Um, and honestly, there was no, there was never the thought ever entering my mind that, yeah, I'm going to be doing, I'll, I'll eventually do scrap milling full-time. Um, there was never that thought because my mindset back then was, that once the kids get a little bit older, whatever, and everything settles, and you know, hopefully that I would still, I would have still had a career at Holden until I would have retired. That was my, that was my whole aim because I loved working there. You know, I worked with a really good crew of people, a great organisation, very supportive, work-life balance in there. Also, their, you know, their understanding and their uh, patience with families and all that type of stuff as well is great. You know. They were an awesome organisation to work for. So my dream was to actually continue with them. Um, also, you know, some listeners will know I'm also I also play in Vanishing Point. So back then as well, you know, and hopefully in the future there'll be more touring. But back then, especially when I was at Holden, um, I would say to them two three months in advance, "Look, guys, I've got this tour coming up. Whatever, I need some time off." And they're just like, "Yeah, no problem." Yeah, you know, it, it was not like you know, no, you can't do that. It was like not a problem at all. Just let let us know. From what date to what date you need off, whatever, and we can work it. And if you don't have enough annual leave, whatever, well, then you can put some, you know, long service leave onto it, whatever. We'll figure it out. Everything's okay. That was a type of awesome organisation I worked for. So my whole aim back then was to actually stay with them. I wanted to stay with them, but when the voluntary separation packages were offered, the the car industry at that time was in a bit of a state of shell shock, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. And um, and I was thinking like back then maybe it's my time to go you know i mean it was um i just there was a lot of stress you know what i mean and i was just thinking to myself look i don't want to rock up one day and i'm not going to enjoy it like i enjoyed my job and of course you know with any work you know you had good days and shit days but i thought to myself i don't want to get to the stage where i don't want to go to work yeah i loved working there you know what i mean and so i thought if it ever gets that stage with the stress and instability you know, with the auto industry, um, then I'd probably look at different ventures. And just at that time, um, the voluntary separ- voluntary separation packages or VSPs, as we call them, were offered. And um, I put my hand up. I didn't want to go, but it felt right. You know what I mean? And I felt like I could do it. And um, I'm still doing this five, six years later. You know, it's... working for myself, man, and I, I and I enjoy it. It's a big thing to do because, I mean, it's, mm. you know, a lot of the narratives that you hear, especially with self-employment and, and the very, the stereotypes that you always hear out there is like, mm. you know, somebody's, somebody's dissatisfied in their job, they, you know, they escape the escape the cubicle sort of concept and they want to work for themselves and be empowered to make their own decisions. But for you, it was, it was sort of like 
well, in a way, you sort of fell into it because you were, you were, it was a means to the end, as you mentioned before, because of your family circumstances. But yeah. you had a you had a job that you were really happy with and passionate about. But you could also mm. see that potentially the writing was on the wall as far as what where the industry was going, and that you might, yeah. And you knew you're being sort of realistic with yourself, but um, you had, you know, you had you had some great circumstances to be in, and um, despite yeah. all that, you could sort of had the foresight to go, you know, this might be. This might be a sign that um, I might have to just sort of take up uh, a different path and a different road ahead, and and that would have been, I'm just having a guess here, but it would yep. have been quite daunting to to make that decision and and take those next steps. It was. It, look, to be honest with you, sometimes I was sitting there, you know, when I was pulling only like you know four hundred and thirty dollars a week, doing you know and busting my ass, you know, I mean, learning how the whole thing about scrap metal goes, you know, in the early days, you know, I pretty much, you know had the mindset to with the volunteer separation package and the money that I received from it to basically run the first year at a loss. You know, that's the honest truth. It was like, okay, I'm and it wasn't that whole thing like I'm gonna advertise big and all that type of stuff. No, it's like run at a loss because you're still learning the ropes, mate. What sort of things do you do personally to sort of I guess be competitive in in a nice way where people are coming back to you and you're building those relationships with people because it's not it's not the thing, and we, and we might even go into this because you don't you don't have a big online presence, and there's a reason no. behind that, and, mm. you can, and you can you can dive into that a little bit. But um, you know, you're really relying on that organic, in your face, face to face sort of scenario yep. of of your reputation, and um, yep. what sort of things are you thinking about with that to to build that business? Absolutely. Look, man, it comes down to the end of the day that the stuff that I do differently. Look, from any other business here, there's probably a lot of different things because it is a bit of a niche market, niche type of work. Mm. But generally, I answer the phone. Like the phone rings, I pick it up. Yeah. If it's a phone number that I don't know or it's a contact or a network or if it's one of the scrap metal buyers that buys this material off me and they're ringing me, they're ringing me for a reason. So I pick up the phone. Mm. And, you know, a lot of guys, you know, even in, even in the game, say to me, you know, when I rock up with all this material, they go, how do you do it? I go, dude. I just pick up the phone, and if I miss a call and the phone comes up on the ID, I ring the person back. <laughs> you know what I mean? I generally ring the person back before, just after they've left the voice messages on my, you know, inbox. You know what I mean? So, and my whole motto is, you know, be honest and truthful with people. Give them a timeline when you can do it. Tell them. Don't bullshit them. Just say, look, I can do it on this day. Send me a picture of the material that you've got, your location, and if it's not too far away, I can do it. Not a problem at all. Um, and with that being said, when I rock up, you know, to the job, I'm very polite and I don't leave a mess. You know what I mean? There's a lot of scrappers out there and a lot of people in the recycling or the, the rubbish removal game who, who, um, supposedly are meant to rock up to a job and they have a job booked in and they never turn up and the client's ringing them up nonstop and they don't answer the phone. So, you know, I've got a lot of work also because other idiots dropping the ball, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I don't apologise for that because at the end of the day, if you're working in this industry, you're working in the services industry. So being the services industry, it's important for you to make a buck and put the food on the table and pay your bills and keep your roof over your head and keep your family fed and your kids at school. It's important to look after the customer because mm. at the end of the day, if the customer's happy with your service, they will tell all their friends and that some of their friends might be working for commercial companies or big companies that need somebody like you to do the job. You know what I mean? And look, that's how just my business has expanded in a small way. You know, I, I don't do massive jobs where I'm like, you know, 12, 14 hours a day, seven days a week doing a job. I don't, 
I haven't invested in massive trucks or anything like that. No, I just invested in the setup that I've got because that works for me. And I comfortably make money through my hard work, but also I comfortably make money looking after the existing clients that I have, you know? And I can't complain, Andy, to be honest with you. I'm pretty happy with the way things go. Do you... With with your existing clients and as you build those relationships with people, do mm. you do you go out of your way to to contact them and reach out to them um, to see if there are opportunities, or is it more of a case that you've you've just got the steady stream of people just coming back to you all the time, so you don't have to you don't have to go out to them and say, hey, you know, how's things going? Have you got anything going on? Or you know, it, what sort of what sort of approach do you take with with stuff like that with your existing clients, or is it just you know, do people just come back to you? All the above, bro. All the above. There's no, there's no rule book. Um, basically, you know, my typical thing is like, you know, four, five o'clock, five o'clock in the afternoon, whatever. I might sit and have a coffee or a cigarette, whatever. And so I'll think to myself, okay, in my little, you know, memory in my brain, I'll just go, I haven't heard from this guy in a while, so I'll just give him a call, touch base, see how he's going. You know, because I've got sometimes I've got bins at the facilities, or whatever, and I'll just ring him up and go, hey, you guys going? Do you need me to come down and swing by? And the majority of the time, the answer I get is, sorry, we forgot to get back in contact with you. We're flat. We've been flat out. But, yeah, the bin's overflowing. Come down and pick him up. We'd love for you to pick him up. Perfect. And I'm like, dude, okay, if the next day I've got like a free day, I'm like, first thing tomorrow morning, I'll be there as soon as you go. So, you know what I mean? It's, it works like that. I have, for example, I have guys who do air conditioning, electricians. I have guys who do commercial um, uh, cooking equipment. You know what I mean? Um, all these different industries, guys who do computers and stuff like that, um, e-waste, all these things, I've got my fingers in the pies here and there, and I have a, it's like a variety of people who ring me or I contact them. You know, every couple of weeks we talk. You know what I mean? I look after them, they look after me, and they're happy with my service. Going from a traditional job, so to speak, I mean, although you're mm. a pretty unique type of work, but a traditional type yep. of job, and then going into the world of being self-employed, what, what was the approach that you had to take mentally to sort of look at money differently? Because suddenly, you know, you're not reliant on that steady stream of income that's coming in that you've been yeah. for the past 18 years. Suddenly it's, oh, wow, it's all on me. And, you know, things mm. such as, you know, what were, did you have to sort of rethink everything in your life as far as your lifestyle and, and what was important to sort of work out, you know, where this money goes and, and, and the value that you put on it as well? Sure. Okay. So, Look, there's some weeks where I might have a full-on week. I'll work five days a week, and I'll work all weekend. But there's some days, some weeks where I'll work the whole weekend. I might have one or two days off during the week. So there's that um, there's that flexibility thing. You know what I mean? It's like making sure your family is flexible as well with what you do. Mm. Um, being self-employed, I think it's important that you know, as I said, it's communications, answering the phone, or if you get an email, answer the email. Um, and there's no set time that the email is going to come through. You know, there's no set time the phone call is going to come through. I've had phone calls at like, you know, five thirty, six o'clock in the morning. You know what I mean? I still answer them. If I'm awake, I'll answer them. Mm. Um, or they'll leave a message and I'll get back to them a couple, you know, hours later when I wake up, you know, sometimes. But there's that whole flexibility thing. Um, yeah, you do have to hustle and bustle sometimes. But I've never thought to myself, I'm going to do this and – at this stage in my life, in 10, 20 years' time, I expect to be here with my family. You know, I expect to have X amount of millions or X amount of properties and all that type of stuff. I love my life how it is, and I live in the now, right now. I'm enjoying it now. I'm not going to wait 20 years to enjoy what I have now. So 
with that being said, I, I was, first and foremost, when I got into this game doing scrap meddling, I said to myself, I'm not going to get stressed out over money. I'm not going to get stressed out over trying to keep up with the Joneses. I'm just going to carve my little niche and look after myself, look after my family and work by myself. Chris, if anyone's uh, in, in the suburbs of Melbourne and, and needs some uh, some stuff moved, how, how can they get in contact with you? Sure. Okay, so basically <clears throat> I only advertise through two ways. So I advertise on Gumtree. My company is called Speed Metal Scrap. Or you could reach me on Facebook Marketplace. Some of the times I do advertise on there. Or me being Chris Pachanko, just contact me through Facebook. Um, it's P-O-R-C-I-A-N-K-O. Uh, and I'll get back in contact with you, you know what I mean? Um, I'm happy to help anybody. I predominantly do the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne, um, but based on quantity and the quality of the material, if it's a large amount, whatever, that, that I can see realistically as being that I can move and it's worth some money, I'll travel to central Victoria or to bloody, you know, far western Victoria or whatever, I can do it. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to do the jobs. At the end of the day, I'm not going to kill myself over it, but I'm happy to do the jobs. And, you know, uh, I do everything from scrap metal, but I also do e-waste. Um, I do factory clearouts, also garage clearouts, domestically speaking, commercial clearouts, ex-rentals. I handle deceased estates as well, so I do deceased estates, and that is I handle that with utmost respect. So if anybody is going through a situation where they want to clear out stuff, whatever, before hiring a skipping company that's going to pretty much put a lot of the stuff to landfill, give me a call. Chris, thank you so much. Thank you, Andy. Man, it's an absolute pleasure once again to be on your show. I love it, man. Um, it's great what you're doing, dude. To learn more about Chris from Speed Metal Scrap, you can click through to the show notes on your podcast player or head over to selfstarter.com.au where you'll find more details from our guest as well as my key takeaways. Number one, answer the phone. It's the simple stuff that counts and often we find ourselves in a state of self-sabotage by being lazy, avoiding uncomfortable moments or allowing introverted tendencies to overwhelm us. Chris has put this really simple rule in place where he always answers the phone no matter what. He's seen others make the mistake by being complacent and by following the simple rule, he ensures that he never misses an opportunity. Now have a think about how you can set rules in place to ensure that you never miss out. If it's not phone, maybe it's email and instant messages that you're often neglecting. Number two, reputation and word of mouth. It is a common theme with the self-starter guests and it's worthy of highlighting again. You are a reflection of your business and your personal reputation directly equates to not only return business, but also recommendations to others. Chris doesn't invest a lot in marketing as he's built this network of people who, through word of mouth, bring him new opportunities. It's cheap and organic. Now, don't get me wrong. Marketing is always important. However, if you invest in customers who come to you in the early stages with great service, they will reward you with more business in the long term, both directly and indirectly. Number three, be realistic, invest, and profit later. It's all about delayed gratification. As the dollars roll in, spend wisely. It's important to invest in what you are doing so you can ensure that not only the business grows, but it's sustainable. As long as your basic lifestyle needs are met, try to put as much back into it as possible. Number four, touch base and say hello. Just because you don't hear from someone doesn't mean they're not interested. Life gets in the way and sometimes people just get busy. Sometimes a friendly follow-up call, an email or a message can do wonders and jog the memory of someone who is genuinely interested in doing business with you. 
just like answering the phone, Chris has ensured that this simple rule of follow-up and reconnecting is followed and is proving to have great results. Now, some people may have concerns that it could come across as being a little bit desperate. However, it's all in the delivery. Remind people that you exist and that you are ready to serve them when they are ready. We're done. To learn more about this episode and previous ones, check out selfstarter.com.au. To have a squiz at my other podcast, the Andy Social Podcast, The Band Lord, or anything else that's happening in my world, head over to andydowling.net. Looking forward to having you back for the next episode of Self Starter. Larry. Larry, please.